Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Totem Talks. I'm Mark Smith. I'm Helen Fruin. This podcast is for psychologists and people interested in business, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the third take we've done of that intro and I don't know why I'm not nailing it. We're going to leave it at that. This week's podcast is all about weaving your DNI, that's diversity and inclusion, into the DNA of your leadership programs, which is a fairly catchy title that you have come up with and I really appreciate that. It's going to be something we're talking about in our newsletter. So if you do want to get hold of that stuff, you can mm. subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Ooh. Ooh. Or just drop us a line via YouTube or wherever and we'll uh, we'll hook you up. But um, this is your bag, baby. Um, what's it all about? So 2020 was the year of many, many things. Oh, yes. One of the things that happened very much in 2020 was that people went, oh, my goodness, we need to do more on diversity and inclusion. It was very much a post-George Floyd panic. Uh, some people who wanted to do something more on it for a long time but didn't have the business buy-in now had the business buy-in. I thought you were going to use a different word there. <laughs> well, there was a lot of fear around actually standing up and um, and declaring you, your position on this, yeah. I think. And so 2020, I think, it enabled an awful lot of people to say, actually, this is not okay. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a groundswell and a, a, an acceptance now of we should be doing this. We should have been doing it for a long time. Let's crack on, shall we? Yeah. So yes, I, um, yes, I'm with you. And just to come to that point, there's still a lot of fear around messaging. So some of the people that I follow on LinkedIn who are very strong in the anti-racism space are saying, you know, I'm being asked to come into companies and soften my message mm. and not talk about racism or white supremacy because people can't cope with it. And so there's still a lot of that fear. Uh, even speaking to a client recently, and we were talking about a program that was going to be delivered globally. We were talking about some of the damage that Trump had caused. And straight away, there's that anxiety about well, some of our employees are Trump supporters. So how do we manage that message? So there is still a lot of that fear and concern. Yeah, there. and the in, the interesting thing I think for me is the is the global piece that you mentioned. So uh, a couple of our clients are you know globally based, and we're being pushed in one country to talk about um, inclusivity in terms of you know sexuality, ethnicity in the workplace, whereas in some countries that those clients are operating in, homosexuality is legal. And so how do you roll out a global diversity program without standing on you know mm. the legal toes of it oh oh it gets it gets messy very complicated it gets messy yeah. and um, there's lots of notes at the bottom of slides saying please adapt for your local context and culture oh, well. <laughs> 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 thank you to the legal department um, yes. yeah yeah so when i say 2020 was along with many other things a year of kind of knee-jerk reactions mandatory unconscious bias training, Mm -hmm. one-off workshops on what does it mean for us to look at diversity and inclusion in a better way. Um, And great to see a lot of companies making this D, E and I, uh, which used to be equality, but now recognition that we need equity in terms of equality. If we think of equality as treating everyone the same, actually treating everyone the same doesn't give everyone the same outcome. Mm -hmm. Equity is about making sure we get fair outcomes for everybody so there's been some great work going on to shift how people are looking at their diversity and inclusion what excites me about this year is that more and more of our clients are coming to us to ask pretty much the question that you've 
given as a title to today and how do we thread it into the DNA of all of our learning and development, all of our leadership, that DNI isn't something that sits in HR or sits with the head of DEI. Mm-hmm. It is something for all of our leaders to be playing a role in. And so what's really exciting for me or, or pleasing for me to see is how we can contribute to that and how we shape leadership programs with inclusion at the heart of them. Nice. And uh, just out of curiosity, what gives you the credibility to speak in this space? Mm, great mm. question, because that's where I get my imposter syndrome. Yeah, I know, I, I know. That's why I've, exactly. that's why I've picked at that particular wound. I know. Uh, so the, you know, where I'm not going to speak. So sometimes I find the contrasting bit really helpful, right? So what mm. gives me the credibility? Let me be clear first on where I don't have credibility and where I wouldn't want to push our business or push our expertise is when you're looking at what are the steps we can truly take to change the diversity of our workforce. There are some areas there where we can add a huge amount of value. So unconscious bias interview skill training, we've been doing for as long as it's existed. A long time. Objective recruitment, how we can run a much better process to interview people, assess people, all of that, great. If you want to look at what is the representation of different groups in your organization, what does that data tell you? If you want to have deep listening groups to find out the experiences of people, there are diversity and inclusion consultants out there who are experts in looking at the numbers, looking at the trends of that research, uh, also from an anti-racism perspective, sharing their own stories of people of color to bring that to life and say, this is what we need to do differently we are not, Totem is not moving into that space. Where we have something to offer is in saying, again, as always, what does the research say? What does the research say on inclusive leadership? Because this is where I think a lot of that concern and fear comes from, is as soon as we start talking about inclusive leadership, like, oh, inclusive, that sounds like inclusion. Oh, is this going to be more stuff about Black Lives Matter? And shouldn't it be all lives matter? And oh my goodness, we go all through that again. Inclusive leadership at a very simple level is leadership that includes people, leadership that promotes a sense of belonging. That means you are accepted here. You can be yourself here. And we know from the Google research, that Project Aristotle piece on psychological safety, Mm -hmm. all of the Gallup research since 1998, that all of those things are fundamental to people performing well. And it's common sense, right? If the cognitive load, the brain space that I have to give to, oh, can I be myself today? Um, Can I talk about the fact that I'm in a same-sex relationship? Or actually, is that not really welcomed here? Uh, Can I use the kind of language that I would use with my friends? Or because I grew up in a Jamaican community, is that not really accepted or recognized? If I'm having to use all my brain space to think about what I can say, what I can't say, can I be me? How am I going to use my best brain space to be creative or solve problems or do my best job? So it's a really common sense point that to be a great leader, we need to have people who feel accepted and included and a sense of belonging. And that's where we have credibility. That's what we can deliver. Good answer. Thanks very much. I liked it. And I just want to pick up a point, a data point there for the Mm. listeners. Mm -hmm. If you are a bit of data, a bit of data. If you are having things thrust upon you, 
and you are required to tick a box that says I identify this way or that way, mm. please tick the box. Don't tick the box that says I prefer not to say, because at that point I can't do any work. <laughs> we had a client who wanted to, who genuinely wanted to understand the ethnic makeup of their of their recruitment program, and because a statistically significant number of people tick the prefer not to say box. I couldn't give anyone the answer and that that really frustrated me and it I I, I felt for the client I really did um so please 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 um by just acknowledging what you identify as it's really helpful to us statisticians I want to add a caveat to that because mm -hmm. we've got to think about why it is that people tick the I'd prefer not to say box mm -hmm. And for some people, it's just, I, I literally would prefer not to say, or I don't identify with any of those boxes. For a lot of people, it's fear of the consequence of ticking that box. You think? We know from when I talk about these experts who do listening groups and speak to people, that's a key theme that comes out is people are worried about if I tick that box, how will I be treated differently? How might I even be discriminated against? I think that is my white privilege speaking through there, people. Oh, Excellent. very good. Excellent. Wow. There it is. On ah. show, if you don't think it exists, <laughs> I've just demonstrated it for you. Um, Tell me more. How do you see that you've just demonstrated white privilege? I've got no fear of ticking that box. Mm. I'm white. Boom. I'm a man. Boom. There are no consequences to me answering that question at all. Full Brilliant stop. example. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent point. Yeah. Well made. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, so if I'm worried about ticking the box in terms of what it could say about me, there's a question and this is where the inclusive leadership piece comes in. So which comes first, diversity or inclusive leadership? Mm. Because it, the, the whole I can't be it if I can't see it. So if I look at your careers page and I don't see anybody that looks like me, why would I apply for a job in your company? So we need to make sure that we're demonstrating our inclusivity mm. for a diverse workforce to want to work with us. But then if we get a diverse workforce and we say, well, we, we want to encourage you to be open about who you are and your identity and all these things, but then people have the fear of ticking the box and being judged, that doesn't really work. I so see, yeah. you, you, you kind of need an inclusive culture in order to encourage a more diverse workforce, but you need to show the diverse workforce in order to encourage greater inclusion. So it's mm. a bit of a catch-22. Mm. I liked your little quip there. If I can't see it, I can't be it. It's not mine. That's so so that? much of the value I share in this is... Whose is that? That's, 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 that's awesome. I'm not sure that it's been particularly uh, coined by anyone. Oh. It's, a, it's a general I'm gonna claim truism. It. I'm going to claim it. Of, um, um, the reason yeah. why I, I, I quite like it is because of your work with Jitin Patel. Mm. So uh, for everyone who is new to Jitin, he's an Asian man working on uh, some DNI stuff, does a really great job. And in recent weeks has been working with Helen and I've not been involved in this project and I've, you know, I've only seen it sort of cursory out the side of my, my glasses, so to speak. And what has been really powerful is seeing an Asian man and a white woman having really frank, honest conversations with each mm -hmm. other about their experience of, of ethnicity, discrimination, you know, femininity, all of these potentially tricky conversations, but two people coming together with hugely different backgrounds, having these conversations like grown-ups and not having the fear of, of treading on toes. I'm fairly certain at some point toes have been trodden on, but the way that you've had this conversation and the way that you're now rolling those conversations out to clients for people to see, oh, actually, this is how you have 
a sensitive, grown-up, but meaningful conversation mm. with somebody about their experiences in life, regardless of what they are, who they are, um, mm. or where you're both coming from. It's it's been it's been really powerful to see two people do it. And as you say, if I can't see it, I can't do it. I'm now seeing it, and I'm and I'm, right. I'm getting the substance behind what I need to do uh, in terms of having conversations with people. It's great. Yeah, and it is fascinating. I I my um. I had an allergic reaction to you introducing Ditton Patel as an Asian man. Mm. And my allergic reaction to that comes in part from, again, people in the anti-racism space will talk, why is that the first indicator that we, you know, the first way to introduce Ditton is not his expertise, uh, any anything about him other than the the ethnicity that he brings to mm. the situation. Um, but my, I very quickly calmed down that allergic reaction because I know exactly why you've done it. Mm. And it's because our clients are seeing the power of it. Yeah. When you talk about inclusion and you've got a black man leading an inclusion program, it, okay, are we just talking about race? There's a lot of assumptions that come in. Mm. When you've got a white woman talking about inclusion, it's like, oh, are we just talking about gender or have you actually got the credibility to talk about this because you yourself have had a lot of privilege? Well, and, that, and that's the, that's the, that's the, the stunning thing about prejudice it, is it, it works against you on both ways. So either there's a black man in front of me, oh, we're going to talk about race. That's terrible. But if it's a white woman talking about race, oh, she's got no credibility. <laughs> you're like, which one do you, you want? You can't win. <laughs> which one do you Absolutely. want? You can't win. Um, so as I say, the reason that I, I do understand why you introduced Jitten in that way is because we are seeing the power with our clients of saying, here is an Indian man and a white woman having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's actually call that out mm. and talk about how we have... You know, a classic one that we talked about recently was code switching. And a lot of people in the UK haven't come across code switching. It's generally more US context where, where it's understood. So this is where um, some people describe it more that I hide my blackness or I hide my brownness at work. Uh, so I gave the example earlier of if I grew up in a very Jamaican neighborhood or surrounded by my Jamaican friends and family, we are going to have a certain dialect, certain language, certain terminology that we use that is not really very well recognized or accepted or expected in a nice posh middle-class customer service environment or the boardroom or any of that. And so people code switch, they hide their blackness, they change the way that they speak. And so being aware of that and thinking, well, how how has Jitten experienced that? How have some of our black colleagues in our client programs experienced that? And I'm all for, you know, if, I, if I'm, let's think about this as a, as a timid white woman going into a board meeting, you have to adapt your style mm-hmm. to have gravitas in that board meeting. Well, then if you've grown up in a Jamaican environment and you have to adapt your style to have gravitas in that board meeting, that's all the same. But is it? But is it? (laughs) And when you've got a majority by race Mm. that says, no, this isn't about having a different skill set. This is about changing who you are, changing part of your identity. There's something that's gone wrong. And so again, being able to have that conversation just makes a huge difference. And as you say, doing that in in a calm way, there's no accusations. You're wrong. You're racist. Let's just have a conversation about where we need to understand the things, these things better and where we can better support each other. Yeah. 
So this is the actual, this is where the rubber meets the road bit, this question, how are we actually doing this? Because um, at some point, I'm going to get some work to do. And this is where I get excited. <laughs> I think I, when we first talked about Black Li- the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, maybe six months ago, we talked about what we're actually going to do. Because I, you know, I do have a bit of an issue with posting black squares on social media. That That's it's nonsense. Let's actually get some graft done. Let's start lobbying people. And now you're coming to me and saying, I've got this idea. We think we've got some good stuff to do here. So what are we going to do? There's two main areas of thinking here, and it will become very obvious which way I'm I'm leading. (laughs) So if you're talking about weaving DNI into the DNA of your leadership development, one way to do that is to have talk about inclusive leadership in that program. Mm -hmm. So one of our clients has introduced an inclusive leadership module into their program where we introduce concepts like code switching and microaggressions, although really uncomfortable with the language microaggressions because it just gets people defensive right from the off. Micro stupidity, I think, is where I'm going to go for. That's probably not the same, is it? Well, it would be if, you know, given the fact that you yourself have just demonstrated oh, quite yeah, privilege, that's true, yeah. if I'm like, oh, there's an example of micro stupidity. Micro Again, unconscious stupidity. That's I'm good, just yeah. going to get a defensive reaction mm. straight away by bringing it up. And whilst I'm not saying we don't want uncomfortable conversations, defensive conversations don't go anywhere good. Mm, true that. So I'm really liking the language subtle acts of exclusion, because I can say to you, actually, what you just did there, I felt excluded or I'm concerned that that would exclude this group of people. Let's have a conversation about that. It sounds far less judgmental. Mm -hmm. So we have a module about that and we can talk about building that into your leadership. The other approach is to really weave it into your DNA. It's actually, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. yeah, yeah. It's to actually do what you just said. Yeah, to actually just do what you just said, yeah. So... Again, come back to the Gallup research, the Project Aristotle Google research. If acceptance, belonging, psychological safety, if those things are so important to leadership, then when we talk about delegation, feedback, career conversations, coaching, political navigation, influencing, matrix management, when we talk about anything that comes up in leadership, how are we thinking about being consistent in the way that we treat different people, which is not the same as treating them the same. Mm -hmm. How am I making sure I'm being consistent? Because I may have favorites in my team. I wouldn't be human if I didn't. So I'm gonna treat those favorites differently. Well, let me have a look at the color of the skin of my favorites. Let me have a look at the gender of my favorites, the sexual orientation, the family status, the abilities seen and unseen, disabilities seen and unseen. How am I treating people fairly? And to have that constantly as a question throughout my entire leadership development and my entire thinking of how I am being a good leader, that's the way that we weave it in. Excellent. So if our fabulous listeners wanted to take something away today, what would it be? Uh, I guess there's the whole thing of how do you weave it all through? Having that question in your mind is good. But if I was to go to one particular practical point, it would be the the Simon Sinek start with why, the mm. getting the why piece in there, because one of our clients launched an inclusive leadership program and there was a fair bit of pushback. Again, there's, there's a lot of people who are still in that privileged space of saying, 
this all feels a bit like pandering. I don't think there's really a problem. Why are we doing this? And so you introduce it as inclusive leadership. That sounds like DNI. All the all the barriers have gone up, and we're not having a good conversation. Mm-hmm. If you can start with what's the business case for this, Mm. Uh, and this is why I keep mentioning the Google research, the Gallup research, the McKinsey report showing that your companies are 35% more likely to be high performing in your market when you have a more diverse board. That is a business case for getting this right. And again, to the whole, I can't be it if I can't see it. If I see that your board is all white men, why would I want to come and work for your company? So getting the inclusion right that then drives greater diversity, that drives greater inclusion, that drives greater diversity, we need to give the why, we need to give the business case. Mm -hmm. And that's the shift that I'm seeing is when we start programs with that messaging, people get it. Mm. Not 100%. You've still got people, I mean, I'm up to module four on one of our programs and we're talking about inclusion every single module and you've still got people, but isn't this pandering? Isn't this, you know, is this really treating people fairly? Because I feel like I'm going out of my way to be nice to that group of people. We're still getting those questions and those are the uncomfortable conversations Mm. we need to have. But starting with the why is really fundamental on that journey. Excellent. Let's uh, put a pin in that. All righty. And come back to it. I think... There's often a, a quip on one of the workshops we run for recruitment, actually, where um, the question always comes, um, is it more important to be seen to be recruiting properly or is it more important to recruit properly? And I think where my job basically comes in is that you have to start taking away people's shortcuts to not really caring about this before. Oh, look, <laughs> you actually have to care about it. And uh, I think that's 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 where you know, people like me are going to have to get to work next is uh, to look at the fundamentals of, of of how we're actually not doing this stuff properly. So very exciting times. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll keep coming back to this over the next year, I think, and give you all an update. In the meantime, have a fabulous day uh, and we'll see you in a few weeks' time. Thank you.